Have you ever tried to read a business book and then apply it to motherhood, parenthood, domestic life? Today's guests teach us how to do it. Let's keep calm and mother on. Mothering is way too important to do alone and way too serious to be serious all the time. My name is Christy Thomas, and I am here shoulder to shoulder with you, mothering and enjoying life together. This is the podcast where you can focus on being mindful and taking a deep breath with me and learning new things so you can pause and savor the amazing life you already have. Today's um, guests are the Strong Family Project podcast. So welcome, Joe. Welcome, Mel. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Christy. It's great to be here. Okay, so who are you? Let's explain who you are. <laughs> yeah, of course. So we're a family. We've, well, we've been married for almost 17 years. We have three boys, age 13, 11, and 5. And just to give you a little background, um, my husband was a teacher for a while and then became a business owner. We have a couple of fitness facilities. I was a social worker for five years, and then I turned stay-at-home mom slash doing all the paperwork in the background for the family business. Mm-hmm. And we were just out of balance for for many years. Um, Joe was working a lot and we realized that we were putting too much, he was putting too much energy into his business and not so much into the family. So we started to adopt some of the ideas that business brings forth, like core values, mission statements. We tried to adopt that into our family system. So fast forward to COVID time, we had, we had created our core values And we were considering, you know, this isn't really the place we want to be. We were in a different state at the time. And we decided, let's. what if we just moved somewhere that was more aligned with our values? And to be totally honest, I completely panicked. That was not something I ever had considered (laughs) doing. My family's back in uh, upstate New York. And it's just not something that I ever considered. But once we realized all the possibilities that it opened and the opportunities that it opened, we, you know, drove 2,000 miles across the country, moved to Colorado, and have really focused on running our family as like a well-oiled organization. That might sound a little boring, but it actually (laughs) brings great structure, a lot of fun, and we are more bonded than we have ever been. And we created this strong family path, which we created over time, just different things we would implement. And we just feel, feel so passionate about strong families that we wanted to share. And we started our podcast and We'd love to share it with your audience. Absolutely. So you never left upstate New York. Did you go to college around there too? Was it that big of a switch for you? It was. I had never been out west at all. Okay. (laughs) Now I went to Binghamton University. I went to Colgate, both upstate New York. And we had never been to college. We literally looked at a map and pointed at an area <laughs> and said, Hey, we think the weather's there's nice. We did a little bit of research. We flew out, bought the first house we looked at and moved and we know no one here when we moved. That's amazing. So, um, my story that my audience knows, but you guys don't, I've moved 12 times with my husband in the last 20 years because of his Navy career. So mm-hmm. I just can't imagine not moving anymore about every <laughs> two years. Like it's so odd. We're going to be here for about four years. And I'm like, getting antsy. Like that's a long time. (laughs) That's a totally different experience than we have, but I appreciate that. If if anything, we're glad we moved because now our kids will be more resilient. Yeah. Because they'll see that moving isn't so terrible because it can be scary. It can be really scary. So I really accommodate, I uh, congratulate you and just give you a big shout out. And Colorado was on my list 
that if he hadn't proposed, that's where I was going to get my first teaching job. So kudos for you on that state. (laughs) Oh, thanks. We are very happy here. How did you decide to switch like business ideas into family ideas? Like what triggered that? Where did you start? So I would do a lot of mentorships. I'd learn from different business people. And some of the ones I had been through a lot would say, hey, the most important organization in your life is your family. Mm -hmm. The most important relationship you have in your life isn't a business relationship. It's the one you have with your spouse that can make, it it does make the business go around your relationships at home. Mm -hmm. And switching the perspective to serving family first and business second and viewing it as an organization because when we start to realize like, like these things don't happen, you look at it like your favorite teams, your favorite music groups, yeah. they just don't sit down and great music comes out. They have to have a structure to creating that and implementing and then delivering it to the world. And I think we were just, I don't know, going through the motions. Like we, the family just happens and like, but that doesn't, it doesn't right. work like that. It <laughs> often happens by randomness, right? And yes. then you look at someone like Taylor Swift, who's been touring the whole country, and you're like, she's got a training plan. Like, she's not just getting up there every night for three hours. It's, this yeah, has it's been years in the making. Yeah. Exactly. That now we are on the other side where it's like, oh, like people are like, oh, your family's like so peaceful. You're so lucky. You're like, oh, it took a lot of work and structure. <laughs> like, it wasn't just luck. It doesn't just happen. Yeah. And so uh, being more intentional with things and taking the best uh, ideas from teams and uh, business and music groups and see what other successful organizations are doing to create that success, I think should be applied in classrooms and workplaces mm-hmm. should all be applied to, to families. Right. People aren't really educated on how to run a family. You know, you just, I think no. you either, you have a great example growing up and you can replicate that. Right. Or you realize that this is not something that I learn in school. Maybe I'll get married. Maybe I'll have kids. Life will just happen. So we just bring a lot of intentionality to it, recognizing that our kids are going to someday be out of the home. Hopefully they'll have their own family. We want them to not just kind of go into murky waters and not know what to do and hope for the best. That just wasn't good enough for us anymore. (laughs) But it's so true. There are so many parts of adulting as I walk my 17 year old through it that I'm like, oh, there's like layers on layers of steps here that I have to remember. It's not Mm -hmm. like riding a bike. You like there's so many steps. There really is. It's very true. And I appreciate that you're walking your 17 year old through it. And I I even present it to my 13-year-old this way. Say, in five years, you potentially could be on your own, and here's the things you'll need to do, and not in a scary way, but in an exciting way. Like, you're just going to wake up one day and say, oh, I guess I'm an adult now. I know how to do my laundry. I know how to pay bills. That doesn't happen, and I think a lot of times people just assume, hey, welcome to adulthood. What does that look like? Yeah. So we're almost training them, but enjoying it along the way. Yeah. You're building the memories into the ordinary moments. So right. what are your family values? What did you guys pick out? Yeah, so we went through a process. And I think the process is the important piece because we'll share our family values, but they might not and should not be the same for everyone. Right. We shouldn't uh, steal yeah. just other people's words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if it's not something that's core to you and your your organization, then it just doesn't work. And so we took a a, a process from business. And how we did is we sat down and we just wrote down all the values we thought that were important. There's a a lot, hundreds of good values out there, Mm -hmm. but it's the old Jim Collins thing. Good is the enemy of great. If you just focus on 
good things you can ever accomplish those few great things. And so we had to decide what are the real core things that we would stand and fight for as a family. And so we would do, we started with a brain dump. Mel did her list. I did my list. If we had adult children, we would have our older children. Yeah. We didn't include them in the process. What, what do you find important in life? And then we sat down, we played an activity called kill keeper combine. We went through the whole list, brain dumped it all out there. And then we'd look at the words, say, Hey, do, is this really core to us? And if not, we would cross it off. We'd kill it off the list. Uh, keep it like, yeah, that one might make the final round. We'd keep it or combine it. If Mel put like thankfulness and I put gratitude, like, okay, mm-hmm. let's just choose one. Let's combine them so we can narrow it down to three to seven things because we'll, we can carry three to seven things in our brain at once. And what is memorable is portable. We want these to actually, uh, be lived out in our lives to just not live on a wall somewhere. And that that's what I would see in businesses. Some companies that live by their core values were different than some that just put them on the wall and no one ever knew. They get they dusty. Were. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. So we went through the process. We established ours and I'll let Mel share them. Sure. So once we did establish them, I am a big fan of charts and visuals. And at the time our kids were maybe one, seven and eight, something like that. So they were still young and I created these little bookmarks and I had all of our values written down and that way they had it at the table. We had at the table for a long time at dinner and we'd review them until everybody had them memorized. And now it's been probably about five years. The kids know them super well. They are still on the wall, but we can go over how we actually live by them on a daily basis. But our particular values, we have six of them. And the first is, Joe mentioned it already, having gratitude. We think that's kind of how the the world needs to move, is always looking for things to be thankful for. And we, every night at dinner, we share something we're thankful for. Our five-year-old gets to pick out who's going to go next (laughs) in the round. So he has, he can provide some value towards the family in that way. Another is being adventurous. And it doesn't just mean like going for hikes or things like that, but it's going outside of your comfort zone. So we want the kids to always see, let me try something that will stretch me, that'll make me even better and have me have new experiences. Another that's related to that is personal development. We are, we want to be forever learners. We want to always be reading books and bettering ourselves and learning new skills. And Joe and I role model that for the kids as well. Starting this podcast was a huge personal development step for me. I had never been in front of a camera (laughs) or a microphone and it was very scary for me. So we want the kids to learn that we can always grow and learn and school is just a piece of that. Uh, the next one is being accountable super important that the kids have self-responsibility. We try to not point the fingers in our home. You know, what what piece did you have in this mm-hmm. um, argument or what piece of that, even if it's school related for schoolwork, how can you be accountable to get your homework done, to get your reading done? We just, we like to use that word accountable. It just kind of elevates the kid to see that they have a say in the matter. They can do something to move forward. And uh, another one is be genuine. Our oldest loves this one. He's just always been a very, he's always liked to take things apart and build things. And he's always known that about himself. Yeah. So we try to really foster those individual talents and interests that each person in the family has. And finally, my favorite one is wanting to be together. So someday when the kids will be older, we want them to still want to be a piece of this yep. family unit. And exactly. That plays out in really cool ways. Like the, maybe just a month ago, we started to sit on the porch after dinner. Yeah, And it would just be Joe and I sitting there and then the kids would join in. And now almost every night we're out there hanging out. And it's just, 
it's us living out that value that we like to be together. We like to spend time together. We have fun together. We're not just living under the same roof. We're truly living life together. Yeah, because ideally, right, probably one of your goals is one of mine is that they want to come home when they're grownups. Yeah, exactly. I want them to come visit me. I want them to be excited and have me visit them. Yes, exactly. We we think it's really important to foster that kind of bond and that kind of expectation um, in the younger years. So how does your um, goal of togetherness and gratitude in particular impact the relationships in your family? That's a great question. Well, I think so. I mentioned earlier at dinner time with gratitude, how we share it every day. I think it just makes us a more positive family. We're focused on the good things. So the kids can come home from school and have things that they might complain about. Everybody does, you know, recess, this thing happened or that thing happened. But we try to always bring it back to like silver linings. Like my, our, our oldest son had his first football game yesterday and he's, this is his first year ever playing. Wow. And the team that they were put against was, you know, quite a bit more organized. So it was a tough <laughs> experience, but he just by talking to him about how, what can you be grateful for in that experience? What did you learn? How does this make you more of a team player? Like just that it only it fosters those kind of conversations that grow us closer together, if that makes sense. It, it, it primes the brain, right? To look for those glimmers all day long of of the good things. Yes. And another thing that just popped up to mind, we do our family meetings every week. And the first thing we do is share a way that we embodied one of the family values. Oh, wow. So let's say we went for like a special hike. We could say we were adventurous, but you had mentioned um, creating those bonds in the family. Sometimes we do it a little differently. We have everybody in the family mention something someone else in the family did that embodied that family core value. Yeah. So we're always kind of looking out for how each of us is embodying those values, not just as individuals and like selfishly, but it's like, how did we as a family do this? You know, what did my brother do this week that went along with one of the values? We're always trying to like pick out the good. That's awesome. You And this happens at your family meetings. Can you explain how those work? Sure. Yeah, sure. We sit down at our family meeting. We decided to do it on a Saturday during dinner. So it's a time we're already together. So it's not something in addition. And we realized that most families only have meetings when things are wrong. It's, it yep. feels like getting called it's to a, the principal's office. It's the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we have to We're going to lay down the law something. and change routines and you're in trouble and I don't like this anymore. <laughs> exactly. And so we wanted to work into the routine so that there was a lot of positive nature to the family meeting so that the kids really enjoy them. They look forward to them and they get frustrated if we miss them. And meeting may have a negative connotation even in the business world there's even a book death by meeting uh-huh. about how boring they are and like how to reorganize them and have a better meeting experience so we leaned into it read a lot of research on it to keep it very simple mel shared how we kick off the meeting which is with gratitude uh which is our core values and uh sharing thankfulness for how we embodied one then we get into our um discussion topics, which are anything that needs to be discussed about the week coming up. Like, Hey, here's the schedule. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you want to accomplish this week? Our, our youngest like, Hey, I want to go to the Creek. Okay. Let's get it on the schedule. Another one might bring up. I want to ha- try to invite my friend over. Okay. Let, let me call his parents. So you, you organize it all. And also it gives us a place to discuss anything that may have went off track during the week, not during that emotional situation. So, mm-hmm. Let's say a kid's doing too much tech time. Like, hey, well, you got you got to turn that off. Uh, let's bring it up during the family meeting, not when things are heated. Like, hey, let's let's just calm down. We'll, we'll discuss it. We'll come up with a solution. Mel and I 
fulfill the role of defining what success looks like. We'll say, hey, with tech time, screen time, uh, we don't want you using that when other people in the room because it'll affect the relationships in the household. There's probably some time during the day where you can use it, though, that is good and beneficial. And so what do you guys think? And when we put it on them, they come up with their own plans. And right now they have three 15-minute time blocks that they can use with a mandatory 30-minute break between each. So they learn how to use and also stop using the mm-hmm. tech instead of just lumping it all together. Initially, they'd lump it all together. And they they brought it up to the family meeting like, hey, I don't like just putting it all together and then it's gone. How do I do this? And then we establish the 30 minute waiting period. They come up with these own solutions because we're just letting them talk through it. Then we have a section called tough truths, which is anything that you might feel uncomfortable saying, but you feel it needs to be said. And, uh, we, the kids say them to us. We practice receiving them. Uh, one That's time really Mel important. caught one on, yeah, Mel caught one on, they weren't liking what some dinner she kept making. Yeah, we really don't like this. Quit doing this. <laughs> but it's so true, especially as I walk through with older kids, like the ability to speak up and say you don't like something is a really important life skill. Mm-hmm. Yes, is. yes, for sure. And the begin and be able to take feedback when it is you, and be able to raise your hand and have the that part sure. too. <laughs> yeah. So we try to purposefully to handle it well. So one, I took like uh, my son Henry was like, "Hey, Dad, I think you checked your phone too much during dinner time," and he was right. And I didn't say, "Well, it was work," and you don't understand. And like I am so busy, as defensive as we can get as parents, it wouldn't have helped that situation. It would right. roll out the wrong thing on taking the feedback. And once for him, he, he just got braces and he was becoming more timid. He was looking down he was talking and muttering a lot because I think he was a little bit embarrassed about uh-huh. the, the, the new braces. And I said, uh, you know, tough truth for you is that you have so much to give to the world and you speak up and your voice is getting silenced because you have these braces. And I would really appreciate it if you took the time to work on that and let us hear your voice this week. And that was the tough truth that he got. And so we have these conversations. Does everyone get a tough truth or is it just things that bubble up organically? Yeah, the ones that bubble up organically, you don't have to deliver them. Okay. Yeah, most weeks there aren't any. It's really just if there's something that needs to be said and it's said in this loving context of the family meeting because Mm -hmm. the kids feel super valuable in the meetings. One of the reasons that they get upset if we miss one is because they have a topic they want to discuss and they are often the problem solvers. Joe mentioned we define success. Here's the end game. Right. How are we going to get there? And then because they come up with the solutions, I'd say like 90% of the time they have buy-in. Yeah, they have buy-in because it's their solution. And we simply say, let's try it for a week and let's see if it works. And if it doesn't, let's you know, go back to the drawing board at the next meeting. So they bring a lot of value. It's not us telling them what to do. It's truly a family meeting, not a parents to kids meeting. Yeah. You know, have there been solutions they suggested where you're like, Ooh, I don't think this is going to go well, but it does meet the definition of success. I've honestly seen it the other way where their solution is more rigid than I would have picked. Yeah. <laughs> like with the tech time, like they, and when they come in, they have more buy-in. So I'll, sometimes I'm surprised. Like, well, that sounds harsh, but uh, yeah, let's go with it. <laughs> I think, I think it's the same thing where they, they have three 15 minute, which to me sounds like that's not really much, but they, that's what they came up with in the summertime. They asked to add one more cause they were home from school. So, you know, we let, you know, we added one sure. and it was perfectly yeah. fine. Um, that's a great question because I think most of the time, no, it is the other way around. They almost don't realize it. We're like, let's go with it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, awesome. They, yeah, it goes well. They give, they get some good feedback. And uh, sub note, one that I we really like for is when they want to 
start or buy something that you don't want them to. Mm-hmm. And so we'll say, all right, we'll bring it up during the family meeting. And then like 72 hours later, they don't want the thing anymore. It was just very impulsive and yeah. it gives them a place to control his impulses and realize like, all right, they had a couple of days to wait to the family meeting and then they, the problem solves itself. So you're not dealing with so much. And then, uh, after we, we deal with all, all the discussion topics and the tough truths, we go around and you compliment each person at the table for something you appreciated about them or that they did that during the week. And then we give each other a firm handshake and two pats on the shoulder and Mel sneaks in hugs. As the, <laughs> yeah. the Yay, hugs. <laughs> I know. I still get to give all the hugs, even though they're doing all the firm handshakes. That's cool. Though. <laughs> <laughs> it takes both include- types of parents, right? It really does. And um one of the things people often ask us is like, at what age should we start these family meetings? And we started doing them when our littlest was two. Okay. And it wasn't magically. We just happened to, that's when we happened to yeah. start doing them. And the two-year-old would just sit there in the room and play with a toy or draw at the table, something that they're at least in the room and they're part of the conversation, yeah. even if they don't say anything. So it's, it's not even like there's this magic time to start. I think there's parents we've talked to that started when they're just when their babies were still babies. And it just gives the parents time mm-hmm. to discuss the week. And then as the kids grow up, they become more included in it. But it's, it's an expectation now every week and it's, we, we really enjoy it. How long do they last? Maybe 30 minutes. At the most, I yeah, would say. That'd be a long one. It would be 30 minutes. Uh, basically the length of a dinner time. Yeah. Um, 15 to 30 minutes in that frame. That's awesome. Because yeah, so many of these ideas, when you read them in a business book and you're like, okay, where am I going to put this? How am I <laughs> adding something in? Like, I, I don't know how I can add more. So I love that it's just a family dinner that you've claimed for this. It's not a special exactly. event. Yeah. We wanted the habit of having family dinners because we didn't have them as much when, when the kids were young. So I was working later hours. And, uh, to the research in, um, what James Clear Atomic Habits called habit stacking. We're doing this habit of having yeah. dinner anyways. We can stack on something else and then marry the two habits together. It'll be easier than if we say like Saturday at 1 p.m. The alarms go off and we have to drop what we're doing <laughs> and meet and create something from scratch. We're at least building on top of something that exists. And dinner's kind of a laid back time too. Yeah. So we'll probably, we like start eating maybe 10 minutes in, we start the meeting. Okay. So it's not like we're all like, let's all convene on the couch and stare There's at There's no other. gavel. No, no, it's, you know, basically we'll be eating and then Joe will just say, okay, everybody come up with how they embodied a core value. And we just immediately know we're starting it. Awesome. Great. Do you have any other times that you talk during the week about what's going on? I think you said you have an evening debrief. Is that different than your family dinners? It's very different. Yes. Okay. So there's kind of two things that we do. Joe and I try to take a walk every day, at least 15 minutes, so that we can stay on the same page um, for anything that's going on in our lives. A lot of parenting stuff. Hey, this kid seems to be needing a little more support. How can we address that? So we do that on a daily basis to stay connected. It's very difficult if we even, like if a kid is homesick from school mm-hmm. and like we'll feel disconnected and I'm like, oh, it's because we haven't walked in three days. Like we haven't <laughs> been able to sit down and talk or not sit down, but walk and talk yeah. or, or whatever the case may be. But the evening debrief is a unique thing that kind of came up. So this, I took this idea from, I used to be a therapist for five years and there's this idea called the doorknob 
conversation where you'll have 45 minutes with the client and they're about to leave the room and that's when they bring up like the deep topic. Oh, right so in teenage life, this is like when I'm finally saying goodnight and I'm about to yes. go to bed and then they exactly. spill that you, yes, you, you hit the nail on the head. That is exactly what it is. That's what this is for. So what I used to do is I would kind of go downstairs and, you know, I'd read to them or we'd go through like a Bible verse for the day or something like that. And then they would just start like gushing, like this happened at recess. This happened with this kid. And I started realizing like this needs to be something that I sit here for every day. I can't uh-huh. just be like, good night. I'm tired. Like it's nine o'clock. All I want to do is like go to bed. It's yep. that parenting piece of you that you, you need to be unselfish because if you give up that time, that half an hour of time, they might not bring that up the next day. Right. That might be there's gone. a limited window able- here. You're exactly right. So I just built that into my evening. I put the five-year-old to bed. I go into the other room with the 11 and 13-year-old. And some nights, nothing comes up. Some nights, it's a good 30 minutes of unpacking something that happened at school. Because honestly, those topics, like they're all, they're they're showered. They're like sitting in their comfy chairs. They have their blanket or whatever. And that's when they feel comfortable to spill. Just like you said with your teenager. It's not going to come up during dinner necessarily. Or after no. school in the car or whatever. So it's a special time that if you don't really intentionally put yourself, put that time there for you to be with them, I think a lot of lost opportunities, you know, they'll just be lost, especially with teenagers when you want to make the fact that my kid comes and tells me something. I'm like, I need to make sure I foster this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Those moments where I try to just hang out in the evening near them, I call it my potted plant time, kind of like the snake plant behind you. I just get to be <laughs> near them. And like, if I hover long enough, then the, sometimes they talk when they need to. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I think it's just a really special time of bonding too, as a family, like our value of wanting to be together. I could just pop in and say, love you. Good night. But I noticed that this was the time when things would come up. And honestly, sometimes my 13 year old is like annoyed when the 11 year old is like going on and on and on. But this is what like, this is part of relationships. Sometimes you just have to sit and listen and offer like a listening ear. Sometimes we go to the solution mode. Other times we don't. I'll, I'll ask him, I'll say, you know, do you just want to talk about this tonight or do you want me to help you solve this? I because love you know, always, that you asked that. It's yeah. a really hard thing as a parent to yes, ask. All you want to do is solve, solve, <laughs> solve, solve. And uh, sometimes they don't want you to solve it, at least not then. Mm-hmm. Joe, do you get in on this or is this just something Mel does? Mel is usually the first filter for this. Okay. And then she will escalate things to me <laughs> that she, she thinks that I should follow up on the next day. Yeah, that's kind of how we make it work just with our schedules. If if I notice, and it's funny because sometimes I'll come upstairs at like nine o'clock and Joe's like, oh, that was a quick one. And if I come up at like 930, he'll know like something came up and there'll be times my kids are getting a little older. I have boys. They need their dad in some ways that I might not be able to provide. And I will basically, like you said, I'll bring it to him. I'll run it up the flagpole, right? I'm like, this is something you probably will need to address with this kid tomorrow or this weekend or whatever the case may be. So we always remain in communication about it. But oftentimes it's it's mom time in the evening with me. Yeah, That's awesome. I I love that you're like, yeah, the pass off of some certain topics, right? Like that's important for other parents to hear. You can't parent your kid alone well. 
Um, you really need either a really amazing spouse or partner, or if you're parenting alone, you got to build your village. Do you have mm-hmm. other people you talk to often about these sort of things that help you feel secure in your parenting journey? I have two. <laughs> Mel? I feel like you're my, you're my main person I go to. <laughs> you know, I, I, what we recognize as parents is that we cannot be everything to the kids. Mm-hmm. So it might not be that I go to someone in particular for advice. It's more, I'll identify something that my kid needs. Yeah. Um, for example, my oldest, he wanted to use power tools this summer. And since we moved, uh, we don't have access to my dad's workshop anymore. Gotcha. So I was on like, I need to find a place that he can do this. And it happens that one of the libraries is attached to this art center that has all these tools he can use. That's awesome. So it, it's for me, it's more what what can I not provide? And where can I find it? Or the kids go to a youth group at our church and we make sure that we get to know the youth leaders. We've had them over for dinner. They're a really lovely couple because we recognize they might be able to give something to the kids that we cannot. So I try to foster relationships for my kids when I can't fulfill a need. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple uh, more along the lines of your question that, uh, we really, when I go see them, a friend, Vince, buddy, Kevin, and we talk about family stuff and they, they have core values and they have them up on their walls and it's really like higher level conversations. We just don't sit around and talk about the weather and stuff like that, yeah. which is okay. But we have the deeper family conversations and, and share in the, 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 the successes and share in the tough times and share in the solutions. And so, um, leaning on people who do a great job is a really good idea. Yeah, and I'm finding that I've also needed parents a step or two ahead of me sometimes that <laughs> they hear yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's pretty normal for this age group. You just haven't <laughs> seen it yet. <laughs> what I like about the core values, it gives you a filter to decide if what they, someone who's a step ahead is telling you is something that aligns with your values true. or not. So I take my kids hiking a lot now and we'll see a lot of, people around my age or slightly older that'll say like, Oh, don't ever get old. Like they say those, those kind of things, um, because they're struggling. They do it for conversation starts and they do it from a good place. Like, but really like that's not the advice I'm going to give my kids. Don't ever get, I want you to get old. Please get old. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're going to grow. And, um, so a lot of what's quote unquote society's norms we don't adhere to. So we have to be careful on who we're taking the advice from and don't just assume that it's right. We have to run it through through our core filter, our core value filter and then decide if it's right for us. Yeah, we evaluate the source of the information. (laughs) And I think this is the powerful thing. We almost started out with this where everybody grows up in a particular kind of family. And there needs to be a willingness to look back and say what pieces worked Yep. What pieces would I like to change? And it's not judgmental. It's simply, does this work for my family? It's just data, right? Like a lot yeah. of people are aware of that adverse childhood experience score. And I think that you worked with kids in traumatic places like that, right? I did. Yep. And then there's the positive childhood experience score that came out in 2019, like family dinners and connected relationships outside of you know, family and um, rituals and celebrations. And those seven things are pretty simple to hit if you look them up, but it's just having conversations with people and finding the right people for your team. That's a great way of putting it. We, we almost call it like our tribe, like who can be in our tribe. And this was one of those 
added benefits of moving that we did not consider was when we moved, we of course we stay in touch with family and friends from back home. Yeah. But it isn't the same when you can't see them regularly no, in person. No, it changes. So we've been able to kind of pick and choose who we spend time with here. And it's almost been like a blessing that we weren't expecting. I'm not just going to like hang out with whoever shows up. I'm going to be more particular about mm-hmm. it. And we walk our kids through that too. You know, you're making new friends. You need to evaluate the people you're spending time with. Just because this kid sat next to you doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be the one that aligns with the values or, or whatever it might be. We want the kids to start thinking about that in terms of filtering. That's fantastic. And you start those conversations young, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I started it with my five-year-old. With him, it's more, I, I try to be super involved in the school. Yeah. So like I, our school is very tiny and I was helping out with math in fifth grade last year. So I knew all the classmates. Now I didn't go home and say, Hey, don't hang out with this kid, uh-huh. but I at least had an understanding of who they were talking about. And with my five-year-old, you know, he made a buddy last year. I made sure because he liked that kid that I met with his mom Absolutely. and talked to her. So I'm kind of doing like background checks, I feel like. <laughs> totally. That's been happening this week with the first week of school here as we all walk down the hill because um, we're all walkers. And I'm like, okay, so what questions can I ask you to see if like this kid, my my fifth grader thinks is cool. I like what their family is, like what I want them in their house. Exactly. And I try to tell them, is this a kid that you would be friends with just at school or is this a kid you might invite over? Because you can have plenty of acquaintances at school that don't really make the cut of being, Mm -hmm. you know, to hang out at home. So just getting them to think about that without saying this person can't be here. We're like, there's a one uh, friend of our middle son that there were some things that were a little questionable and we just discussed it with him. We didn't say absolutely not. You can't go there. Um, but we explained where we were, where we were at. He saw our points. And I think because we allowed him to make the decision for himself and mull it over, mm-hmm. he felt like he had control in that scenario, even though we were trying to guide him a certain direction. <laughs> yeah. Totally. In those conversations, after I pick up my kid at a place, one of the first things I asked is, um, did they feel safe the whole time while they were there? Like, I just want them to keep checking in with their intuition when they're mm-hmm. outside of our family bubble. Very good question. Yeah. yeah, I like that. We should start doing that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, and you know, one of my middle kids, she went to a play date and she's like, yeah, I don't need to go back there. Like it it was, I like the kid at school, but like, mm, not the environment I want to be in. I was like, okay, right. or, or good job, kid. They, exactly. We have to praise them for having processed that on their own. Or they might want to come to our house, but they don't want to go to that kid's house. That's true, too. <laughs> like, nope, this is a school or our house, but not theirs. That's right. <laughs> all good boundary work to help our kids walk through. Yes. Well, as you're doing this, where can people best find you? Can you remind me where people can find you? Yeah, absolutely. All of our contents comes out of strongfamilyproject.com. You mentioned our, our YouTube shorts we put on there, our, our podcasts, our, our Instagrams on there. But that's also where we give away the seven steps of the path and our notes on how we did it so people can take it as almost an operating system for their families and see if they like it and adapt it to them, their unique situation. And it's all at strongfamilyproject.com. Awesome. And so as you're doing all this, you also need to build in time for self-care. What do you do for self-care? Ah, this is a great question. I'm going to try not to rant on someone else's podcast, but I get (laughs) sensitive about 
people's interpretation of self-care because I was asked it on a previous podcast. Oh, well, since, tell I think, me, please. I think, I think we're in a trust bubble that I, <laughs> I, I will share with you. And it was basically self-care for an adult man like myself should be drinking something on the weekend and smoking a cigar with his buddies and stuff like that. Oh. These aren't things that I'm necessarily into, but they were advocating and it put me in an awkward situation to basically say like, Hey, that's what I don't view self-care as anything that does a long-term harm to you. And that eliminates a lot of things that people perceive as self-care. So it makes me a little bit of an outsider. Like I'm not going to bake a cake and eat it. So I feel better for, for, for one minute knowing that it's going to do harm to me long term. And I get the, the, the dopamine release and you feel better from it. So I'm not saying that those things are necessarily bad, but I'm not going to fool myself and say it's self-care if it's really going to be harmful to me. And so self-care for me is going for a walk with my wife, going on experiences with my kids, taking them to the trampoline park and just sitting and watching them, sitting outside and looking at the mountains I enjoy. I'm a big fan of exercise and hiking. I like reading. I like sitting on the deck with some coffee and talking with Mel. And all those are, are versions of self-care to keep my keep my mind together. And I like all those things too. But I one particular thing that I changed for myself about six months ago was since I was doing the evening debrief, and that would really take me into like late, late in the evening. I just wouldn't have time for myself after that. It was just mm-hmm. too tired. I ended up getting up half an hour early. Ooh. So I get up about 530 because the kids get up early for school. And that's my time to make my coffee, to have no one talk to me. Cause the toughest thing in the summertime is I just, it's constant interruption. It's just, and I love yep. that they're home, but it's very difficult to do something for myself. So I just get up a half an hour earlier. I had to train myself to do that. And I have my coffee. I do a little morning journal. I read out of a book. And it's just that little bit of even 20 minutes before anybody talks to me. And then that helps set me up for success for the day. I love that. And I agree with you, Joe. I think self-care should be something that isn't in, like a, just an escape, right? We're not, it's not hedonism. Like we're trying to take care of ourselves. We're not just seeking the next hit. Right. Yes. I, yeah. I think that's a good way of explaining it. It's the things like going and get a massage is good self care. Yeah. It, it can help your, your physiology and helps you relax. Yeah. I, I, I get an issue with like, all right, well, Hey, instead of making dinner tonight, we're going to go out and get junk food. So we, it's a form of self care. Now I don't have a problem if someone chooses to smoke cigars or drink like, yeah. whatever. I'm fine with that. But if they say I need to do this, so that I'm taking care of myself. And then I'm like, ah, that's a kind of a broken mindset and you're setting yourself up for, for a negative outcome that way. And so I try to, like, just like you said, trying to lean, lean in a different lean direction. In. That. Yeah. Well, how are you having fun as a family? Like, you know, you're not just a business. You're, you're a team <laughs> making memories. You want your kids to come back to you someday and enjoy you. So what does family fun look like right now? Well, this summer I decided at the beginning of the summer. So back in May, I had the, I started a back and forth journal with the kids. And my first question for them was, what do you want to do this summer? What do you want to learn? Who do you want to spend time with? And we just tried to do everything on those lists. So I made it a priority. So at the beginning of the year, we ended up going rock crawling because a friend of ours has a rock crawling truck. We went uh, rafting. So we tried to have experiences like that. Uh-huh. But honestly, we just have fun together. Like we, humor is huge in our family and just hanging out on the porch out of boredom oftentimes wonder, out of oftentimes comes wonderful creativity. Yeah. 
So it could simply be hanging out on the porch, cracking jokes, playing charades. It could be going for a walk, and our littlest has training wheels now, so it's like an interesting challenge to go for a walk <laughs> slash sure bike ride. Is. That is a season. <laughs> so I think our fun is really just working it into daily simple things. It's not these big, crazy things. We don't even really vacation. We haven't had much of a chance to. We just try to make special times of every day. Whether it's a walk, a porch sit, playing charades, those simple things, we just have fun together. I think humor is one of the biggest roles in our family for having a good time. That's fantastic. Okay, well, one last surprise bonus question, because you both mentioned books. What's the best book that you've read recently? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm trying to give one that would be relevant to the audience. Yeah. A lot of business books, which are good. And one of my favorites is Shoe Dog, um, Phil Knight's story at at Nike, even though, you know, whatever we think of the company now, like the story is just so interesting how it came about and how he put it together. I'll share, not lately, one of the first books one of my mentors gave me was called The Go-Giver. Oh, I love that series. Yes, the original Go-Giver, and then they have the Go-Giver marketing. They have a lot of Go-Giver marriage one now, too. Yeah. I didn't know they had that one. And uh, it's in a fable story, and it is a little bit personal development, but how how first you give and then you shall receive, it tells a very great story about that. And I really enjoyed The Go-Giver. yeah, I'll go with that one. So I'm going to choose uh, Rich Kid, Smart Kid. Ooh. So it's off of that Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, book series. Yeah. Remember the name of the author? Yeah, uh, Kiyosaki. And I'm reading the Rich Kid, Smart Kid. It's really well. It's so easy to read. It's so relevant to anybody who has kids. Just And it's not just about money. It's just the way kids learn different styles of learning in school. This particular person who wrote the book, he was not a good student. He okay. didn't have a high IQ. And I just love how it's written and it almost gives you hope for the next generation and it gives us guidelines on how to foster like financial intelligence, but mm-hmm. also just understand that all kids learn differently. So I would recommend that one. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I just want to say I am so glad that both of you are here on earth and you've always been exactly the right parents for your kids. Well, I appreciate that so much. And I am going to ask you a question before sure. we... I would like to hear your book recommendation before the end of the episode. <laughs> okay, so the book, I will say it's the book that I'm reading right now because I can't stop highlighting it. The book I'm reading right now is called The Nurture Revolution, and it's about how the parent brain changes in the first three years of parenting. Um, oh, but wow. also, what I love about it is that it's giving all these tips about how you can regulate your own nervous system. Because kids can't really, they need us, right? That co-regulation piece. We foster independence when maybe they're not ready yet to process all these feelings. And um, the United States in general is a really low nurture society. So it's really interesting to read like the science behind why nurturing and letting your eyes light up when your kids enter the room is like critical, it's critical. Oh, it rewires their brain for how they're going to parent, which is awesome. awesome. And I, I tell one little tiny story yeah. before we go. So a, a couple of years ago, I decided, I think Joe mentioned to me, it's important whenever a kid or a person you love enters the room that you're excited to see them. Yeah. You're not just like a downer about it. So every morning when my kids come upstairs, because they have their bedrooms downstairs, I give them a hug. I That's love the that. the first thing I do when they walk into the kitchen in the morning. And one time... 
I forgot, and my son will not let me forget she it. Got tough, she got a tough truth. At the I got a tough oh. truth for not giving the hug. But it's just that way where, like, I am excited to see them. Even if I'm tired or having a rough morning yeah. for some reason, like, I need to give them that hug. And then it just, like, sets them up. It sets me up. And it elevates the mood. And I, I love that. So I'm yeah. glad it's backed by science. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And I think hugs are, like, the anchor to the digital. Like, we're it's such a digital world. Like, hugs are such an anchor to each other. Hellos yeah. and goodbyes, I think, are sacred. So even if it's just a good morning hello, that's awesome. I hope you add the Strong Family Project podcast into your subscribe and go check them out on YouTube and follow them on Instagram. We all need more people on our team, people that help us remember to pause and enjoy this amazing life we already have with our kids. I am so glad that you are here on earth. You've always been exactly the right good enough parent for your kids. Have a great day.